0: Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you are here to join us today. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, Jessica Honegger. Jessica is the founder and co-CEO of Noonday Collection and also the host of the Going Scared podcast. Welcome, Jessica. It's so great to have you. It's fun to
1: be here.
0: Listeners, in our pre-chat, we were just going over everything that we're both working on and I had such a great time. I can't wait to see where this conversation goes. Jessica, I would love for you, though, to share what your journey has been up to now because I know a bit about it and I know the listeners are going to love to hear your journey as well.
1: Sure. Thanks for asking. So, I, so Noonday Collection is a socially conscious fashion brand, and we are creating meaningful opportunities for people around the world, predominantly women. We create opportunity for families living in vulnerable communities in other countries by coming alongside artisan. Made goods and creating a marketplace for those goods here in America. And then we create opportunity for women here in America who become social entrepreneurs. So they launch their own noonday collection businesses and create a marketplace for those artisan partners. So we've been going at it hard for about seven years now. It's been such a blast. And it started really unexpectedly. It started as an adoption fundraiser. So about eight years ago, my husband and I had two kids biologically, the old-fashioned way, but we decided to grow our family through adoption for our third child. And at the time, we were flipping houses in the in the real estate market finally caught up to Austin where it just kind of tanks. So this is around 2008, 2009. And suddenly our little nest egg that we thought we could use to fund international adoption, we were soon living off of that. And so it became evidently clear that I needed to find some sort of side hustle Up until that point, I had um, gotten my master's in education. So I tried out teaching a little bit. I had worked at a jewelry store for about a year. So I'd done a little bit of retail stint. I had gotten my real estate license and then I had began flipping homes. So I had a hodgepodge of experience And I have to say, I I never really understood where I was going in life until Noonday Collection was sort of given to me. I had some friends living in Africa who asked if I would help them create a marketplace for their Ugandan friends. And they asked me right about the time where it was clear I needed to do something in order to raise money to bring our son Jack home from Rwanda. And so I think because I was in such a moment of desperation and need, it made me a lot more open to this sort of opportunity because otherwise it could have felt a little bit left field to like start selling artisan goods, But because of the timing of it, I said yes to them that I would do that for them. And I opened my home to women in my community. I asked them to bring friends. I was so afraid no one was going to come. But in fact, so many women came. We sold several thousand dollars through that night. Let's be honest, it wasn't just artisan made goods. I also was like, anything's for sale. (laughs) Like, Take my closet. Take my jewelry. Take whatever you want. Except I just for eat.
0: the kids, right? It's <laughs> for the <laughs> kids.
1: Every now and then, maybe I would have you know been open to uh-huh. that, but yeah. So, so it really was just like it was such a vulnerable night for so many reasons. First of all. I'm from Texas. We do everything big in Texas, including our parties. So you don't just open your house for a party and have like 10 people come. No way. Like I was like, I got to get a hundred people here. And so there was this expectation of like anything less than that means I am a failure and I am going to feel rejected. So there was the, you know, the vulnerability that comes from feeling rejected. There's a vulnerability that comes from like how I would be perceived. You know, literally I was selling like my grandma's plates, so there is that also that like, okay, this looks a little desperate. And here I am adopting a third child and you like can't even provide for that. And then there was just the vulnerability of not knowing what the outcome was going to be. You know, who knew if people were going to like this stuff, if people were going to actually come, if they were actually going to buy it once they did come. But woman amazed me. I am such a believer in sisterhood. I'm such a believer that when we show up for our lives, we go up. And when we go up, we bring other women along with us. And that has been my story. If it was not for a woman who came and showed up for me that night, Noonday would not exist. And women have been showing up for me for the past seven years. And now that couple that I created a marketplace for that first night in my home, they were extremely poor living in Uganda. They had, did not have an opportunity for a marketplace and they were I mean, literally didn't have food to put on the table. And now they have 100 employees. And it all began that first night when I said yes and decided to kick fear to the curb. And now we partner with in over 13 countries with over 30 different artists and businesses and impact 4,000 artisans. And we have almost 2,000 women around the country that are opening, you know, that are asking women just like I did to open their homes for noonday day collection in order to create a marketplace and create opportunity for the communities where we work. So I have goosebumps. It's a little crazy.
0: I have goosebumps. The, wow. Wow. It's pretty crazy. They have a hundred yeah. employees.
1: Yes. And 300 contract workers. So and just the impact is huge. What I love about, I mean, I've learned so much from working with the communities that that I get to partner with. I'm leaving for Haiti on Sunday. And I, I've learned tenacity. I learned grit. And I've just learned the power of community and of collaboration. And these artisans, once they're earning a regular dignified income, the first thing they're doing is... Sharing it. So every artist and I ask, how are you using their income? It, they're sending a cousin to school in the village. They're paying for their mom's diabetes medicine. They're, you know, helping to sponsor a child in another community. And they've just taught me the power of, man, living selflessly for sure. It's always a shot in the arm. I'm so excited to get to Haiti on Sunday because it's just going to be. I mean, I just learn. I just get to go and be a learner.
0: What do your kids think of this? They
1: are, you know, they don't know anything differently, you know, because I started it when they were all five and under and they've gotten to go with me to Africa and to East Asia and to South America. So I think they just kind of think this is, this is life. And I think I will say now that they're getting a little older and are being exposed to kind of maybe all different kinds of people here in Austin, Amelie did the other day say to me, she had sprained her ankle and we immediately went to the doctor and the doctor immediately gave us to referral to go get an x-rayed and she got an x-rayed and everything's fine. And we went and picked up you know, the bandages like to compress it or whatever at the pharmacy. And I took her out to dinner that night. It's like a conciliatory. She has to be on crutches for a couple of days and we're driving home from dinner that night. And she said to me, mommy, sometimes I feel guilty. And I said, well, tell me about that. And she said, you know, I hurt myself today and I got to immediately go to the doctor and then I got this x-ray and now right now we're driving home and I'm going to my warm cozy bed. And I know most people don't have that experience around the world. And sometimes that makes me feel really bad. And I said, you know, that's really normal. I think that's really normal for most of us. When we come up against suffering, we feel badly, but we can use that feeling of guilt to do one of two things to paralyze us or to lead us to action. And so I just encouraged her, you know what do you think you're here for? And she's like, okay, so I'm supposed to like use everything I've been given to help other people. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you do without feeling. So I do think that, you know, because she's been to Africa, she's been to these other places. She does definitely have perspective that probably most 11 year olds might not have.
0: I was just about to ask how old she is because she sounds very much actually like my 12 year old. And we'll be driving around just in our own area of, of Ohio. And we'll see people like in the Walmart parking lot, for example, standing there holding their sign that they need help. And it's amazing how many people can just drive by, but the generosity of children is amazing. And I wish more adults were like that. You know, what can we give? Truly, what can yeah. we give?
1: Yes. It's true. It's true. I think adults, we get, there's something called compassion fatigue. I think there's also, you know, especially in this political climate right now, it feels so intense to even step into um, engagement that I think people are retreating right now. And You know, I think that kids aren't as exposed to sort of that. It's just a little more innocent. It's a little bit more like, oh, gosh, like that person's in need. Aren't we going to help, you know? And um, man, that's so great. You know, I feel like my kids are my teachers and keeping me soft, you know, keeping me not jaded. And um, because, yes, obviously, this is what I do for a living. And it's it's easy to go, oh, my gosh, you're like, you know, doing so much, But I can still want to keep suffering at bay. You know, I can still, I mean, it took me several days before I read about the shootings in Florida, you know, because there was that feeling of like, oh gosh, this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to enter into this. And yet when we don't enter in, we don't get to empathize. And if we don't get to empathize, we are hard hearted and we live kind of selfish, self-focused lives. And ultimately that's not good for anybody.
0: No, it's absolutely not. I think also adults, a lot of adults, and I'm, I don't want to generalize, all of, all adults may fear scarcity. They're in scarcity mode. You know, if I give this Absolutely. $5 to this person who really does need it, then I'm not going to have it. And yes. unfortunately, a lot of the people, that $5 may have been going to Starbucks. But that $5 could easily go into a store and buy dinner for... I mean, my family and I, we have, we've struggled great. We know how to feed seven on 10 bucks. And I think that's where with me and my kids and my husband, when we, when we see it and I'm not trying to boost my ego Our listeners, you know, I'm, I'm never trying to like blow up my head or anything. And I don't, wow, that could have come out wrong, but I'm not trying to overinflate my ego. is what I'm trying to say, but we've been there not standing on the corner So we want to do what we can do to help. So I applaud you for doing what you can do because it is totally a ripple effect and the ripples just keep on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's true. It's true. Then I have to ask, how do you manage it all? Because you have, what did you say? A couple thousand people who are representing Noonday or have their own Noonday Um, business? We have around
1: 2000 women, yeah, that are social entrepreneurs and that are rocking it as business leaders. They are selling in their communities and they're growing teams in their communities. And I just couldn't be more proud than to just launch other women into what they're meant to do. It's a blast.
0: What does your immediate team look like? Because I know there's, I can't imagine that you would have time to be packing boxes and sending all these women what their network has purchased. So yeah, what does your team look like? And yeah, we have about
1: 60 employees here at the Austin office and um, about five of us are on the executive leadership team. And yeah, they are definitely the ones that are making it all happen and making sure customers are happy and ambassadors are happy and artisans are working well and growing and they I'm just so blessed when I think about the team I get to go work with every single day. They're amazing.
0: Talk about going scared. I, I would have to imagine that growing your even just your local team has been a bit scary. I I, I only have contractors. I can't imagine having you know official staff. So, what did that
1: type of group look like? You know, I have to say that I am, I would say I'm a little bit of your typical prototype of an entrepreneur where I have a lot of ideas and then I'm a doer. So, I get an idea and just start executing. And don't have a ton of patience to teach other people and help other people grow. Because I'm just like, I just need you to like get with me and run fast. (laughs) And so uh, the first couple years, oh, I just, God bless those people that worked for me. We still have actually a couple of them. People learned how to be really patient and understanding. Um, But yeah, I think the key thing is I've scaled the business has definitely been finding managers where that is their thing where they do want to develop others and lead others and um, invest. you know, I feel like I'm so invested in the vision and just being so far out there so that I can pull everyone else along with me that um, my pace is a little bit quicker and so I think but but I want people to feel cared for I want people to be cared for. And that's really been scaling the organization is finding the right managers that are going to care for the people um, and be be in the right lane. But I mean, I've definitely not been the best. Uh, I mean, I just had to learn all this. I don't have a corporate background. I've never really like, I mean, I don't think I've ever worked before this where, where I've had like reviews or written job descriptions or interviewed people, hired people. You know, it's just been a lot of learning as the uh, plane's been flying, you know?
0: Oh yeah. I love how you brought up managers though. And I'm so happy to hear that you have them because that was a big mistake that I made in 2015. I grew way too big, way too fast. And I didn't have Mm. managers to support me. So not totally. Yeah. I, I had my own client work. I had team members with client work. I had an insane number of clients. I came back from having twins and put out way too many proposals at once and got like 30 new clients in a period of a month. So I had oh, to grow my, my yeah, it was really ridiculously scary. So I hired way too fast and the saying goes, hire slow, fire fast. Well, I, I did not do that.
1: It's hard.
0: Oh yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. But suddenly face I mean it's it's hard enough adding one new mouse to the house, but all of a sudden they're having two more. And I was sleep deprived too. So that actually takes me to my next question. How much sleep do you get every night?
1: <laughs> you know, I I'm a high needs sleep person. When it comes to sleep, I need sleep. And I mean I definitely still go through bouts, especially You know, I I was telling you, I just launched a podcast last week. And so when you're launching anything new, I was definitely like, I was falling asleep okay, but then waking up at like four in the morning. But in general, you know, again, I just feel like I'm at that place in my business where I'm not at the hair on fire solopreneur phase. And so hiring the, the team that is able to come alongside and support me and, you know, use their gifts and their strengths. Means I definitely get a lot more sleep, but I go through times. I go through times for sure, because, you know, I always want to be growing. If I'm not experiencing fear in some area of my life, it means I'm living life too comfortably. And that is just not how I want to live. I always want to choose courage over comfort. And so, yeah, but sleep, I need sleep. Give me all the sleep.
0: Amen to that. My birthday is on Friday and my husband asked me what I want. And I told him, I want to sleep in, take care of the kids, oh get gosh. them to the daycare. I just want to sleep in. <laughs> that is like, I, I never imagined, you know, as a teenager asking for sleep for my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, wait. Okay. So you know, I
1: have some friends and their kids are like nine, 10, 11, and they're already hitting the teenage sleep situation where their kids are literally sleeping in till 945, my kids are no longer getting invited to their house for sleepovers because my kids are still on the 637 a.m. wake up train. And my friends are like, yeah, um, let's just maybe hang out during the day. But we're not doing sleepovers with your kids. I'm like, my kids have got to learn how to sleep in.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my problem is I have a, a 12 and a 15 year old. They, you know, they'll sleep as late as they possibly can. Right. But then I also have the three-year-old twins and a four-year-old
1: girlfriend. Yeah. Now that is why you're not sleeping. See, I I don't have any kids under five anymore. And once your kids are no longer five and under, it, it's a whole new world. You kind of get your life back a little bit.
0: Yes, and we are very much looking forward to that. Let me. Yes, tell you. I bet you are. No more. No more. You're done. I'm. Oh no. What. We were trying to make it done. Listeners, if you haven't heard this before, you'll get a kick out of this. We were trying to make it done after a four-year-old. But the doctor said, sit down. I have something to tell you. You're going to have to wait nine months because you have twins in there.
1: Lord have mercy. Yeah. Lord he has a have sense mercy. Of humor.
0: He has a sense of humor. And we decided to take it out of his hands. <laughs> unless he has an even huger sense of humor. Um, but we're done. Okay, yeah. well,
1: congratulations on being done.
0: Yeah, thank you. My kitchen is closed. I mean, I already couldn't cook, but now it's really closed. So, yeah. Kitchen's um, closed. Yes, yes. And we all, we have one and a half left in diapers. So that feels good. That is, that's real. I want. I
1: wish I could reach across the microphone and just just hug your neck right now. That's how I feel for you.
0: <laughs> the diapers aren't as much of a challenge, though, as Sharpie's. They mm. always find the Sharpies that you think are hidden. hmm So you have experience with that too?
1: Okay, I this is so gross. I can't believe I'm sharing this. I sharpies were not the issue. Two of my kids, we had to duct tape their diapers before naps <laughs> because they would poop in their diapers and proceed to wipe it on the walls. Like it was so disgusting. So literally before their naps, like I would like wrangle them down and like wrap duct tape around their diapers. It was insane.
0: Oh my gosh. That is so hilarious. Okay. I need to give a shout out to another podcaster right now. This is not an ad, but Jay Rook of no pain, no gain. And it's K N O W not N O no pain, no gain. It's launching just about the same time that this episode goes out. He also has three-year-old twins and we met in an event last year. He put on social media about a month ago that his twins took advantage of nap time, took their diapers off, finger painted all over their walls with their poo, and then figured out how to take the cover off a heating duct oh and stuffed poo in there too. And it was ah! yeah, so there's two houses of twins who are, you know, borrowable, I think, for a couple of hours at a time. <laughs> Between Jay's house and mine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I've never totally. had the duct tape uh diapers on though. We just one of my twins Sharpie markered her face with green marker. Oh
1: my gosh. Yes. That probably stayed on for at least a week.
0: Uh nail polish remover. It's probably Oh. Not, yeah, it's probably not, you know, FDA approved for the face. But okay. sometimes you just so gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, we were, we were talking and I know this has gotten off topic of yours, but I love chats like this. I, I <laughs> joked with him that we need to start a Tales of the Twin Side podcast. Oh, you should start. A, is there a podcast out there that's just for twins? I don't know, but we are, after his launches, we are definitely going to be reapproaching the subject. Well, I mean, you just went through your launch, so you know what it's like, but after his, after no pain, no gain launches, then we'll definitely be talking about it because there definitely needs to be a twin support network podcast. Yeah. That, that, yeah. You got to follow that nudge. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you most excited about like for the next 90 days? I want, I want to go any bigger than that right now, but I know you're going to Haiti I'm going to
1: Haiti and Vietnam in the next 90 days and Guatemala. So (laughs) I have to admit, traveling international is the, my most favorite part of my job because I get to take ambassadors, our social entrepreneurs. We, I take them to go meet artisans and it's just, I mean, it's so fulfilling to create that connection across cultures and just that realization that we're more alike than we are different. It's just Beautiful. So, very excited about that. And I have to say, I I grew up on Oprah. Okay, and I'm so sorry for all of you listeners that did not. So, Oprah was like our collective therapist, and I always have been a question asker. I've always like kind of in a scary way, you know. Friends are kind of like, oh gosh, Jessica, like you don't want to hang with her unless you're ready to kind of get get the real meal deal, and. So doing podcasts is really fun because I love interviewing people. I truly love getting to create a space for someone to share their story and then to platform that story and catalyze courage and other people. I am having so much fun. Like I wish I could, you know, release more than one podcast a week because it's just my big excuse to get out of the office. I'm like, oh, I got to go. I got to go interview someone because my, our office is too loud. So I come home to do my podcast interviews And I just so enjoy, I was like getting to chat like this. I'm having so much fun. Like I'm like, I love meeting new people. I love hearing, oh my word, you've got twins and you've got a teenager. And like, you know, so I'm really having fun with the whole podcast thing. And I got into it. I felt like a little late. So I was kind of worried like, oh, I kind of missed that train. Kind of how blogging was like back in 2008. It's like, it's real hard to start a blog these days because it's, it's, that's not really where people are hanging out. People are hanging out more on podcasts. And so, but I've been, I've seen that like, I was having a scarcity mentality and I realized that that was not accurate because it's been super fun and people have been really receptive and I've really enjoyed it.
0: I have to tell you that my favorite part of my podcast or one of my favorite parts is telling my, the tween and the teen, I'm on iHeartRadio now. And they just look at me like, wait, you, you are? My mom's on iHeartRadio and it it took me up a little bit on the mom ladder. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And I know it like for podcasters, it's, it's just sort of standard. You know, we know what platforms we need to put ourselves out on, but for the, right. yeah, I, I love having the mom, the mom coolness meter go up just a little bit yeah 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 totally, totally, yeah you know they don't necessarily want to be seen with me in public, at least a fifteen year old but the fact that I am out there in public so they can tell people I am, yeah, that feels pretty good, so when did you initially think of the idea for your podcast?
1: Well, you know, I think for me, it was less about the idea and more that I'm still very much running our company. I have a co-CEO and he's definitely running the company together, but we're both in the business. And so to me, it was like justifying the time that it was going to take for me to pull out of the business to start something new. And then the support that the team, like was the team going to be able to support me in that. So, I mean, I think the idea came, you know, just a few months ago, but I think it was, you know, kind of creating the space for it and doing it in the right timing for me and for others. That was probably the hold up a little bit. Cause otherwise, you know, I would have, I could have done a podcast a couple of years ago, but I just, it was the needing to prioritize where I needed to add value, right? To the business. But right now, you know, it's, it's just, it was the right time. It was the right time. So it's been fun.
0: It took me six months after I initially thought of the idea to get mine out. So the fact that you only said a couple months, you know, a few months ago, good for you. You really are. You do get an idea and you act, don't you?
1: Yes, I am. I I do
0: that. Can I have some of that magic juice? (laughs) I mean, my problem is I get too many ideas. So I have to really be careful about what I'm going to act on today and what I'm just going to throw into the bucket for maybe never, but just not now. Yeah, just not now got it. What are your favorite productivity tools?
1: My favorite productivity tools, I would say limiting my technology. I think that technology can be such a, it's such a gift. You know, I would never be where I am today without, you know, Facebook. And, you know, when I started my company eight years ago and, it was free for businesses. And I mean, that's just how word got out. But I would say clustering my time. And I just, I always like to say Einstein didn't have an iPhone. And so I think it's really essential for us to not multitask all the time. And I, I mean, if any of my team members are listening to this right now, they're gonna be rolling their eyes. Cause I'm such a multitasker. I almost find it hard to like only do one thing. But I mean, research, more and more research is showing that true, truly to be productive, we truly can only focus on one thing well. And I think that that is good leadership is being able to choose pri- to prioritize and to limit, you know, chunks of time where you're on your technology. So I mean, I would say that's a huge producti- productivity hack. Um, for me, something that I did—we uh, we're not doing it right now—but that I love to share with others is we did a dinner co-op where I cooked dinner one day a week, and then two friends that lived near me cooked dinner, you know, on two other nights of the week, and then we would just drop off dinners. And so, really, we were only cooking one out of the week, and then there was usually enough left over for the Thursday night, and that was huge to help with productivity around the home and productivity at the grocery store. Like instead of like shopping for every night of the week dinners, you're really just shopping for one meal. So I think that really helped too with productivity.
0: That's amazing. I, I actually live right next door to one single mom and across the street from another, and between the two of them, like if I if i see their Instagram or their Facebook, they are running all over Kingdom Come all week long. I might have to talk to them about that. Oh no, you!
1: It's it is such a. I did it for five years. It's that a is so amazing. Major.
0: I don't know if they'd actually want to do it with me though. Like I might have to volunteer my husband because I can burn mac and cheese out of a box. We might, might have to get the husband involved,
1: but even then it was really creative because it takes a lot of creative energy. That's the other thing, like decision-making requires energy. And so when you're deciding every day, what you're going to wear and what you're going to make for dinner and what you're gonna make for lunch, like it's kind of like, takes some of that energy away. And I want my energy to go towards the business, you know? And so getting to kind of remove some of those things that require energy and kind of simplifying so that you can put your energy to where you want to have the highest impact. I would say cooking for sure. Absolutely.
0: Oh yeah. On any given night, if we don't have stuff in the house, it takes way too long to figure out what we're actually picking up at the store for dinner. I mean, there can be 20 minutes of debating, healthy debating about what we're going to eat. And not only what we're going to eat, but what are the littles going to eat? Right. Oh my gosh. They're the pickiest things I've ever met. I want to go back to multitasking though for a second. I am embarrassed to admit that when I started my business in 2012, I was putting on my proposals that I was a multitasker. Like, yeah, I, I just laugh at myself now because I know I've gone through enough training that I realized just how bad it is. And one of the, Most pivotal moments in my business was when I heard Todd Herman, 90 Day Year, say, just adding one extra task to what you're trying to do right now takes away 20% of your efficiency. So you instantly drop to 80% efficiency by trying to work on two tasks at the same time. Right, right. I know. I know. But then we, oh, I
1: don't know, man. This is something that I need to, it is a goal for the year. It's a goal to really block out time. And honestly, that's what I think. Okay. Just to bring up podcasting again, because you can't multitask and interview someone on a podcast, you know? So (laughs) I really enjoy the focus because even in meetings at work, I'm like, I mean, I just came out of a two hour meeting before this podcast and I purposely left my computer and phone in my office before going into the boardroom because I was like, I will multitask. and. I'm the one getting called out in meetings for being on my computer. So anyway, it's definitely, a, I'm on the learning growth curve here and this is good. It's calling me out. I'm calling myself out and I'm just, this is an area where I want to grow in really because I have recently read, there's um one of my friends just wrote this book called, Can I Have Your Attention? And he is by Kurt Steinhorst and he works in corporate America all over the country and he goes and speaks and trains and it's he really started out on like how to kind of create a more productive millennial workforce because I think millennials are sort of known for this multitasking right because we're constantly I say we I'm not a millennial but constantly scrolling and we've got a million social media apps open at once and anyway his book specifically is is giving me kind of that. I, I like research. So I think we all do, you know, like research says, oh, so absolutely. when you tell me research says, I'm like, okay, you've got my attention, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. so tell me, What
1: have you learned about this productivity? I mean, that isn't it. How did you decide to do a podcast based on this? Like I'm like switching the table here. I need to have you on my podcast so I can learn, but how'd you decide to do a podcast on productivity?
0: Well, it actually started with more the positivity because we had been through so many struggles in our life mm. before we had our daughter, who's four. We had actually had four miscarriages, <gasps> and we had given wow. up even trying to have a child of our own. Okay. We each have two children from previous marriages, so total we have a we have seven kids. Okay, five, five of them in the house. So my husband had gone back to school and. We, re- we needed more money. So I started the business and literally the week that I gave my notice to my job that I was leaving to do the business full-time, we found out we were pregnant with our daughter. So it's not just the productivity to me, but also the fact that we need to stay positive. And I am, I cannot deny that there are times when I struggle with it myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if we're able, number one, to stay positive and really figure out what we're supposed to be working on, then we can be most productive. And that's really where the next growth came in was I was following income. I was chasing income rather than trying to make an impact. I wasn't mm. following my heart. And when I really started pursuing my passion, productivity boosted so much. So all of that above. Plus, I, um, when I'm not podcasting, I am an Infusionsoft certified partner. So I'm constantly helping clients get systems, not just Infusionsoft, but all their business systems, systems working for yeah. them. So I really try to see productivity isn't just about staying focused all the time, but really about seeing what we can get set up behind the scenes so that we can take time away from our work with our families. And I'm I'm really not... I'm not perfect about that either, but I I look at me stumbling over my words to be totally honest. I'm far from perfect on there, but I am also not a millennial. So I am not as glued to my cell or to my smartphone as a lot of other people are. So I can read, you know, a book to my kids and not be distracted by the constant pop-up notifications or the push notifications. But I actually have turned off most. I don't, really care. I'll see it when I see it and that's just... really great. I'm yeah. not
1: like that. I I have a bit of an addiction going, not going to lie.
0: Yeah, if if people get so impatient that they can't wait for me to respond, then they can move on to somebody else because there are right. so many other priorities. I think it's funny though. Um I'm going to date myself here, but I graduated from school in 1997, high school. So yeah. You know, back then, we didn't, internet was slowly coming around. We had AOL, you know, but call waiting was still relatively new. And we would call our friends to talk to them. Now I find myself texting people before I call just to make sure that they're available. Or if I want to have a Skype conversation with somebody, voice Skype conversation, I'll just send them a message first to make sure they're available. So when people just call me, without seeing if I'm, if it's okay, if they can, if I can talk right now, I laugh. I I mean, I sort of expect it now, which I laugh about because it's so not how it was when we were growing up, when I was growing up.
1: No, definitely not. I'm, I'm right there with you. I was like, call waiting was the most, you know, disruptive thing that we had back in that day.
0: Yeah, I remember the first of my friends who got it, but it was because there were three girls, all teenagers within a year of each other, and the the phone line would be constantly busy. And look at our children now. They're never going to know really what a busy signal sounds like. That's so crazy, isn't it? Yeah, very. And they get mad when the download speed is anything less than, and I don't even know what the ridiculously high download speed is now, but I remember 56.K modems, you know, Totally. Yeah. I have to throw out there though, and this is a total plug. I will put a link in the show notes, which you can find listeners at com forward slash pp288. Just in the last week and a half, I found this great new app called Focuster, F-O-C-U-S-T-E-R. And I have removed all my other productivity apps from Chrome now. I had a couple others that I would use to stay focused, but they never worked. Okay. Focused or I put, you know, my, my tasks in there and then it syncs with my Google calendar and it will schedule the tasks in because I tell it how long each task should take. And that's often the hardest part. We know how long it should take, but we're multitasking. So it takes four times as long.
1: Oh my gosh. So true. But it's
0: scheduling it in my calendar. So that's, yeah.
1: Brilliant.
0: And it goes around whatever you have marked as busy. So like right now it it shows our conversation, but then there's a task immediately after. That's brilliant. Yeah. It it is completely wiped out everything I else I was help. working with. I need help. This is helping. I have one question going back to your travel. Yeah. And this is embarrassing to admit. I have not had an active passport. Since I was 21. I think that's when my passport expired because I got it when I was in high school. You know what? Only 40% of Americans do. Which blows so. my mind. I mean, but I've, I've yeah. had it on my list for years. Maybe that's what yeah. I should do on my birthday is after I sleep in, go get a passport. You should totally do that. I I went and got my daughter a
1: passport when she was six months old. I had no money and no plans, but I was like... I'm just guy, I got to do this just in case. (laughs) We never used that passport, but there was something about the act of going and getting it, you know? Right. Yeah. So you should definitely do that for your birthday.
0: Do you have any blank pages in your, in your passport? Oh, I do. Yeah, you have
1: to, in order to travel.
0: Well, what happened? I mean, you're, you have three different international trips that you've just talked about. So what happens when all your pages are full, do you just go and get more pages? I know this makes yeah, you easy, have to send it ever. in.
1: You have you have to send it in, and it's a whole thing.
0: Oh my goodness! Yep.
1: It's a thing. It's real.
0: But that's a amazing inconvenience to have to have all those stamps that have filled up your your passport. Wow. You know, it's it's. It's a lot
1: of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it.
0: Where has been your favorite place to go so far?
1: It is so hard for me to say favorite, you know, because every place is really so unique. And, um, you know, there's certain places that I love because it breeds a certain level of familiarity and nostalgia for me, like Guatemala. Um, I used to live there. And so when I when I go there, it feels very much like home But then Africa is, I feel so endeared because my son's from Africa and I have um, dear friends there now. And then I love India because it's just so unique. And yet I feel kindred because it's so colorful and the people are so fun and
0: you know, Vietnam, the food is just incredible. So
1: I don't know, I can't, it's like asking him who my favorite kid is. I just can't do it.
0: Right. Well, I was about to follow it up then with, okay, which place do you love the food of the most? Or is there, okay, a I can do that,
1: I think. Um, probably Vietnam. Hmm. It's pretty incredible. The the food's pretty, and and Peru. Peru is, I love seafood. So Vietnam, you've got, Seafood and then Peru there, they have just the most amazing ceviche and just their seafood culture in Lima is just, it's, I love it. I love Peruvian food.
0: You're making me hungry. Listeners. I'm hungry
1: right now. I actually haven't eaten lunch yet. So I'm like, (laughs) I gotta go. I gotta go eat.
0: Listeners. I shared with Jessica right when I hopped into our recording room that my oven oven clock is 10 minutes off. So I was out there just sort of leisurely making my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and got back to my desk and realized it was a minute to podcast time. So I need to go fix that as soon as we're off here. But peanut butter and jelly totally didn't do it for me today. So I'm sorry, I should let you go so that you can go eat.
1: It is not peanut butter and jelly is not so fulfilling. I have to say no,
0: I feel almost bad for sending it with my kids for lunch. But I don't want want the one who's sitting here to get any ideas that he's about to get anything more. (laughs) (laughs) He looked over me and raised an eyebrow. Yeah. This has been an amazing chat. I would love to do it many more times in the future. Thanks. So fun.
1: I I would love to.
0: Yes, let's definitely do it. And congratulations on launching your podcast listeners again. It's the Going Scared podcast and there will be a link in the show notes, which again, you can find at com forward slash PP288. Jessica, where can listeners connect with you online and find out more about you and what you do?
1: Yeah, you I'm definitely engaged on Instagram. So it's Jessica Honegger. H-O-N-E-G-G-E-R. I have a lot of fun with my Insta stories. And I have a website that I'd love for you to go visit. And if you're curious about what your courage radar is, go take a quiz that I created with a courage professor. And I'd love to walk with you and you can subscribe to my email list. And all that's on my website, which is JessicaHonegger.com.
0: Awesome. Jessica, what is your last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners?
1: You know, I would say what I love to do is you know, take people by the hand when they're feeling afraid and help them to just simply go scared. And so I would encourage listeners right now, if there's an area that is paralyzing you, you know, explore that. Um, I think first awareness is the first step to understanding um, how to move forward. And maybe you're being paralyzed by perfectionism or comparison or um, a fear of success or feel, fear of failure. And I just think you need to become aware of that and not let that hold you back from living a life of
0: impact. Have you requested your seven day free version of the positive productivity planner yet? If not, I want to encourage you to go over to the forward slash 7DP and pick up your copy today. This free version of the planner is going to help get you on track of leading a more positive and productive personal and professional life. Again, you can get your copy at thekimsutton.com forward slash 7DP.